Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome to Grass Talk Radio, the first podcast of 2020. And I'm here this morning in my usual squeaky chair. And got my cup of coffee here, the rooster is crowing vigorously outside the window. You might hear him. Uh, his name is Carl. <laughs> Actually, his name is Clay. The guy that gave him to me said, his name is Clay. And when he spurred Jackson, I changed his name to Carl because I thought it was, I don't know, it just suited him better, Carl. If he's in a good mood, I call him Clay. But if he's acting a little, you know, if he ruffles his feathers up at you and puffs his chest out, then he becomes Carl. I'm not sure why I do that, but he's out there raising cane this morning. Uh, you know, he's, he starts up at about 4.35 o'clock, and it's, it's 10 after 7, and he's still going for it. And, of course, faintly in the distance, you will hear the donkeys are uh, already hollering uh, this time of year, you know, the grass stops growing, so they get switched over to eating hay. And what what they like is to just stand in front of a bale of hay and eat it all day. That that's what they want, which is probably not the best thing for them. So it's doled out, you know, a few flakes at a time. Um, Anyway, they're always hollering for more, although they are very fat and overfed. So they're up, they're up already, and it, it's still dark uh, this morning. You know, we are in the shortest days of the year, although they are now getting longer, because we are now marching towards spring, and we're in a new year. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned before that I'm not super big on making New Year's resolutions because I don't ever seem to fulfill them. So what I tend to do on New Year's is select, take a little time because you got a little time, you know, the holidays are over and, you know, you've eaten all the leftovers and you've cleaned up all the wrapping paper and burned the cardboard boxes and you got those couple of days between Christmas and New Year's before you ramp up and go back to work for the man and all that. You got a little time to think. And what I tend to think about are unfinished projects or future projects. I, I try to list me out a couple of things that, you know, when this time next year comes around, I can say I finished something. So I'm going to talk about that some today. And of course it is today. Um, well, right this, well, not at seven o'clock in the morning, but today the Jekyll Island Bluegrass Festival is going on. I, I've gone to that festival a couple of times put on by Norman Adams and Norman Adams has, has put on these big bluegrass festivals for decades. Uh, we used to play Norman's festivals back in the middle 80s, early 80s. He used to do Dahlonega, which 
moved around and then got moved and became the Cherokee Festival up there around, uh, well, Cherokee, North Carolina. I almost said up there around Gatlinburg, but that's over on the other side of the mountain. Norman uh, had that and uh, Myrtle Beach and, I don't know, a couple more. And they were always big festivals. Haven't been to one in, in quite a while. Went down there a few years ago and with the um, me and the uh, the upper echelon hierarchy of the ancient order of the mandolin went there and presented uh, some uh, plaques and certificates to some inductees into the great hall of honor of the ancient order of the mandolin. That was uh, that year was Bobby Osborne and Doyle Lawson, and I've got some goofy pictures um, somewhere on the website of me, you know, making the little speech and presenting them their award. <laughs> um, anyway, Norman, I read this morning on uh, Bluegrass Today that fabulous news feed site that keeps you up to date with bluegrass. I read that he is passing the torch along to um, some other folks, and I can't remember their name. I actually think I know that guy. And uh, going to work with them through this season to uh, kind of make sure the torch gets properly passed along. But I encourage you, if you've never gone to a Norman Adams Festival, that you do that. It is, it is a great way to see a, a, a wonderful lineup of what I call the big boys and girls. You know, it's good, good festivals. Um, some of them, uh, you know, like Cherokee was always, you had the big lineup, but you also had a lot of jamming because it was in a very jam friendly place being at a, I think it was at a giant KOA campground in Cherokee, North Carolina. So that one appealed to me more than Jekyll Island. I like, but it's in a convention center. Uh, the weather is usually not great. It is not bad this weekend, but not a lot of, not a huge jamming festival. It's more of like you stay in a hotel room, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, he puts on some good festivals. Now, I have a little puzzle that just something that I was thinking about, and I've Googled this thing to the point of driving me insane. I cannot solve this little riddle. It has nothing to do with bluegrass at all other than we use our hands to play bluegrass but i thought i'm just going to put it out to you somebody out there must know where the origin of this word came from and let me tell you when i was a little kid my mother you know like if if we were about to eat supper you know got the meatloaf and red cabbage um actually we'd We'd have the meatloaf, but we had regular, we never ate red cabbage. Uh, or we ate a lot of potato soup, as I recall, as a child. Potato soup was a big hit around our family because Pop would go uh, with his friend who was in the Army and bring back these 100-pound sacks of potatoes. And we ate a lot of potato soup back in those days. And uh, I know why, why the neighbor did, because they had 10 kids. They were Catholic, and they lived next. Uh, it was the Gurgley family. They had ten kids, 
And sometimes I just lived over there next door because they didn't even notice me. Um, we had four kids, but those potatoes, you can really stretch a sack of potatoes <laughs> when you're trying to raise a family on $45 a week working for the Coshocton Tribune in Coshocton, Ohio. Anyway, this is when, when it was dinner time, Mom, you had to wash your hands. And my mother always said, go wash your pachis. She always called your hands your pachis. That just was normal to me, you know. Go, go wash your pachis. And my grandmother, on my mother's side, would use the word pachis for hands, especially to little children. I don't remember her, you know, telling her husband, Fred, hey, get your pachis off of that, you know. But especially with children, it was like, all right, show me your pachis, and you'd hold your hands out, you know. Pachis, strange. And I cannot find, I, I don't know what language this even comes from. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background to help your research. My mother's father was German. So my grandpa Fred was German, 100% German. His father was German. His mother was German. And they came over in, I think, 1898 to Michigan. And they were, um, they raised horses, draft horses, and farmed. So that's the German side. So this could be a German thing. My mother's mother, who was known as Millie or Mildred, was Irish. So we got Irish and we got German. And I've always heard from a couple of aunts and uncles that the Germans were from a part of Germany that was really right in between, you might call it one of those areas where the, the maps kept getting redrawn. So, you know, if you pulled out a map from 1900, it might not say Germany, it might say Poland or some little city-state, or, you know, it's very confusing because they, they just keep redrawing the maps and they call these people German when they're not, they don't speak German, <laughs> you know. And this has been going on in Europe for thousands of years. Anyway, the word pachis. If any of you ever grew up with your mother and grandmother calling your little hands pachis, Please tell me what you think and where'd that come from? Okay, so just putting that out, as I said, had nothing to do with bluegrass. Now let's get on to this unfinished projects. I'm very proud that I can say that the podcast is a project while it is still in motion and hard to call it finished. I, I feel like I've been relatively successful because I looked this morning on my Podbean account and this is before I'm putting this episode up, and it says 150 episodes. And you know what? If you do anything 150 times, I think you can say you've accomplished something. Now, as you know, the episode numbers don't match that because I also have the bonus episodes. So that 150 
is counting the, I think, seven bonus episodes. Thus, the confusion in the numbering system. So, feel pretty good about that, you know? When I had ten episodes, it's, I don't know, you can't really call it a finished project. And this thing, you know, almost like being in a band, there really is no, you can never say for sure whether you finished it because, you know, you're always doing something else. So just going to keep on trucking here. And I appreciate all the support, especially the support of the patrons who have come over to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and have signed up. Truly, that makes a big difference. It really does. I'm not going to rattle off the names, but it takes, I've talked about this, it takes a, a good bit of effort to put this thing out, and that little bit of monthly encouragement goes a long way in keeping this thing going. All right. Also, of course, I want to thank anybody who has just spread the word about the podcast. That, uh, of course, cost you nothing. And, you know, you'll be doing your fellow bluegrasser a favor by telling them about the show. And, of course, anybody who has purchased, getting all these commercials out of the way right now, anybody who has purchased any of my online instructional material, which you can find at bradleylaird.com, along with the hundreds and hundreds of pages of free stuff. I've never been really good. You know, somebody said... Uh, we were at a jam over the this past weekend, or this past week, and one of the guys said, yeah, we were talking about you, Brad, on the way over, and Ed said, that Brad is one of the smartest people I know. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I'm so smart, how come I'm not rich? Maybe that is a smart thing. Anyway, I'll talk about the jam here at the end of this thing. Um, but let's talk about unfinished projects. I was just looking around, taking stock of the many, many unfinished projects around here. I mean, and they range all over the place. And I, I'm not even going to mention the unfinished projects regarding this old uh, homestead farm place. All you have to do is turn your head and you're going to see another unfinished project or something that is in need of attention, a tree fallen. I still have trees blocking the driveway from the hurricane. And you can scroll back through the episodes and see the episode where I talked about the hurricanes coming. I still have trees down. Um, so there is a never, I'm not going to talk about the never ending uh issues of keeping an old place up and running. I'm just going to talk about the, the more musical things. Um, one that just is constantly on my mind is I'm all the time getting these emails, usually from India or someplace, where we looked at your website, bradleylair.com, and you know your website kind of stinks and it's not mobile friendly and you need this and you need that and we have these SEO services and we would be happy to blah, 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 blah. I get them all the time. Your site looks dated. <laughs> hey, I am dated. You know, I, the, and I just cannot convince myself that I need to revamp the whole website. I just can't. I just can't do it. I, I'm sorry. We're, we're just stuck with the 90s style. Uh, I'm sorry, because I know how to do that. And a lot of this new stuff 
how to make your page interactive and, you know, mobile friendly and all this stuff. I just, I just don't have it in me and I'm not going to pay somebody else to do it. And to be honest, I, I really feel like my website works best on a real computer, not on your phone. It, you know, you can pull the pages up on your phone. You can do stuff, but it's very difficult. As I talked about in the bonus episode called Tech Tips, I think that's the name of it. It's difficult to download a humongous file onto your phone, unzip it, and do something with, with my instructional material. Some of them, no problem. You know, the PDFs, you can do that on your phone or tablet, but it works a lot better on, a, on an actual computer with a, you know, with a decent sized screen and so why make it all mobile friendly when I'm going to tell you, well, you know, go get a real computer before you do this. So not too hot on that idea, although I think about it all the time. Another one. I've been for, gosh, 12 years at least, um, thinking of putting a, a new set of key tops on our piano. And I just always put it off. It's It's funny. You know, I was a piano tuner. That was one of my little day gigs, run around the south side of Atlanta tuning pianos for people and repairing them. But our piano was never tuned, you know. <laughs> I just, I never found the time to tune our piano. Oh, it has been tuned, you know, a number of times. But I would just repair things that broke. Now that Jackson is pounding that piano to death, I'm in that thing about once a month pulling the action out and fixing something that is broken because it's a hundred and uh gosh it's a hundred and uh, about 105 years old and uh you know it, it it takes a little effort to keep that thing functioning perfectly you know where he can play his beethoven on it and stuff but it needs a new set of key tops and i've done I've replaced key tops on quite a few pianos for other people, but for me, I've, I haven't gotten around to it. And the key tops, the new set of key tops is in a box sitting on top of the piano with dust on it. Been there for ages. I'm going to do that this year. Mark my words, I am replacing those key tops. The F5 Mandolin Project. You know, I built my first F5 in 1982 using Simonoff's fabulous ring binder version of the book. And back in those days, I've mentioned this before, back in those days, you didn't run into many people who made a mandolin. You know, you were like, wow, you made that? Wow, that's a, let me see that thing. Oh, that sounds really good, you know. But today, everybody and his brother is making a mandolin, you know. It's just, it just doesn't, uh, you don't stand out like you used to back in 82. Um, anyway, as soon as I finished mandolin number one, layered number one in 1983 is when I finished it, I immediately started a second one. And I finished it approximately 10 years later, an A style, just employing some ideas I had about how to change the fingerboard extension and a few things. Finished that one, and then I got started on a third one, and then I got sidetracked and built a, what I call a mandolita, or um, it's a smaller mandolin, 
got sidetracked with that, finished that one. And then I had this F5 that I'd been working on and I got real serious about three years ago. I'm going to finish this thing. Still not finished. I did this week. This week I was digging through a box in the barn and I found a set of mandolin tuners new in the box. And that was one of the things that was holding me up. I was, I was to the point where the mandolin is done, but I need to order a set of tuners. I need a bridge. I need fret wire and I need binding and a tailpiece. And I'm like, well, right now Christmas is coming and there's no way I'm plunking down 200 bucks to finish a mandolin that I don't even need. So I just keep pushing it to the back burner. Well, I found this set of tuners and I didn't, didn't realize I already had a brand new set of F style mandolin tuners. And so I drilled the peg head. Yeah. So I've made some progress. I drilled the peg head and dry fitted the tuners and they look good. So now I'm kind of hot on the idea of let's just go ahead and finish that thing. So that's project for this year. I'm going to finish that rascal. I got another little thing. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me why I'm building this. It's, it's a thing called a shite halt. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I'm not even going to describe what it is. Look it up. I got the, the wild idea to make one. So anyway, and it's uh, pretty much done. Same thing. I need some fret wire. And I could, if I had some fret wire, and for 12 bucks, I could have some fret wire. For If I had the fret wire, I could finish that thing today. But the shite hole. I also have a little secret project that I'm working on, which I'm not even going to tell you about, but I, I think it's a good project. Also, I've had on the back burner to retypeset and revise Mandolin Masterclass and Mandolin Training Camp. Those were the first two books I put out, I think in 2005 or four or five or and I never thought I would sell one, to be honest. You know, I listened to the masterclass story. I didn't think I'd ever sell one. So I just kind of wanted to get it done and print one out and give it to my, my buddy who kept bugging me about it. Here's your book. And ever since then, I thought, oh, you know what? I can, I can do a better job. I can make the thing look better. I can, and I just keep putting them out just like they are. So it's kind of like the website. It's kind of hard to get motivated to do something the second time, you know? Anyway, that's something I may or may not get to this year. I, ha I have a good start on it. I have done probably a third of Masterclass completely, you know, just got the book open beside me and I'm just starting over. Retype setting, changing a sentence here, adding a thought here or there, and I am redoing the tablature to include standard notation for all you standard notation notation addicted people and uh, I want I am going to do a tab versus standard episode I don't think I've ever done that might have if I did I forgot so there's that and then there is what I call my never ending tune book and I have, you know, you've heard about me talking about the index card file where I jot down ideas and my stacks of notebooks, you know, these spiral notebooks just full of stuff. You know, if I have a thought, I jot it down, you know, crazy stuff in these books. And I, I don't throw them away because, uh, you know, I might look through them again 
maybe next decade. And then I've got the, this tune book. And let me tell you what, my little mandolin, it's, it's fiddle tunes for mandolin or mandolin tunes for fiddle. or It's fiddle tunes, basically. And I've been uh, fiddling around writing these little tunes really ever since I started playing. I wasn't playing banjo three months when I wrote a tune, and it was called Split Rail Fence. And uh, <laughs> I still have that tablature that I laboriously wrote out of my little tune called Split, Split Rail Fence. Not a very good tune to be quite honest. <laughs> but anyway, that's where you start. I've been writing tunes and songs. I'm not even going to talk about the songs today. Um, haven't written any songs recently. Hmm. I keep writing tunes, though. I seem addicted to that. But anyway, so I had to take uh, Darlene and Jackson to the airport a few days ago. And so I was going to be in Atlanta, so I called... Um, a couple of my old picking pals up there and said, hey, I'm going to be up there. If y'all aren't doing anything, why don't we uh, get together and pick a little bit? So we did, which I'll talk about in a minute. But while I was over there, I saw on Mike's bookshelf a book that I had seen and I had wanted to order this book and just didn't get around to ordering it. I don't even know if they're still available. Probably are. But I had seen this book, and I thought, oh, ooh, I, want, I want that book. Well, I walk over to Mike's, Mike Estes. Uh, he was our fiddle player in Pony Express. Wonderful fiddle player. And in amongst all his books and papers and Civil War artifacts and things like that, I spotted this book, John Hartford's Mammoth Collection of Fiddle Tunes. And thumbing through it, I'm like, oh, man, Mike, that, of course I knew Mike would have that book. I was like, well, I saw this thing come out, and I really, man, did I, I wanted that book. He's like, take it, take it. I'm like, no, Mike, I'm not taking your book. I can order me one. No, take it. I'm like, no, Mike, I'm not taking your book here. This, I am going to order me one, though. I'll put it back on the shelf. And you know, at the... At the end of the, the jam was over and I spent the night at Mike's house and got up in the morning. We were sitting there talking, drinking coffee, and I'm, I'm about to hop in the cart and head south and, you know, feed the donkeys and chickens and stuff. And Mike says, hey, before you go, come out here in the garage. I got something I want you to give to Jackson. I'm like, okay. Go out there. Gives me the book. And I took it because he gave it to Jackson. So, Mike, you're quite a guy, and I, I appreciate that. But I was looking through the book, and it reminded me of my piles of tunes and note cards and spiral notebooks and just all this stuff that just accumulates over the years. And I look, I have this little book. It's what I call my never-ending tune book. It's up to, oh, well, if you just look at the instrumentals, I think it's 39. I haven't cranked out the hundreds of them that John Hartford did because, you know, I didn't have gentle on my mind to foot the bills. You know, I had to be a printer and a piano tuner and a typesetter and 
you know, these sorts of things. Uh, never had that uh, gentle on my mind uh, coming in, a check coming in, where I could just get up in the morning and drink coffee and write fiddle tunes all day. <laughs> a little jealous of that, but uh, but I've done what I could do. And some of these tunes have showed up in some of my some of my books. But I was looking at this list and this little book. It started out as seven tunes. I made a cover for it and everything. It said, seven original fiddle tunes for mandolin. And I had, I had set them up in standard notation way back on an old black and white, nine inch black and white Macintosh. I found this software, the first software I ever encountered that would do standard notation. And the reason I had seven tunes in a little book is I was going to send them off to the copyright office. And I realized that you could copyright a whole book for the same fee. I think it was like 25 bucks back then. You send two copies and the, fill out the form and the money and you send it to the copyright office. And I realized that you could do the whole book. So I just put all the tunes together and bound them and you had to send them two bound copies. Well, I never got around to actually sending it in because I would write another tune. And then, I, well, it'd be eight tunes. Then it was nine tunes. And then I have one here that, let me look at the cover of it. Let's see what the cover says. Thirteen fiddle tunes for mandolin. I kept just modifying it. Well, it's, it's up to 39, I think, of just little fiddle tunes. I thought I would read you the titles. I, I find the titles to be interesting. I was looking through that John Hartford book and there was a little tune in there called Little Black Wire. I thought, what? What an interesting tune. Little Black Wire. I don't even know what it means. I have no idea. And it reminded me of my tune titles. I'm just going to rattle some of these off. We have Split Rail Fence. And some of these titles mean something to me. And some of them mean something to someone else and mostly they mean nothing but you have to have you gotta like if you got a dog or you got a bunch of dogs you can't just call them all dog you give them names that's ralph and my rooster carl you know you need stuff needs a name you know for for you to file them away in your head and associate attributes with them and things like that you, you know you got to give your tune a title so I'm going to just rattle you off just for fun the titles of these um, 39 tunes in my never-ending tune book. We have Long Island Train, The Newcomer's Jig, McKenna's March, Cleburne's Retreat, Hardball. That's a, that's a good driving mandolin, bluegrassy mandolin tune. I have a tune called Diamondback, Madonna, Rocky Branch, The Flagstaff Pint, One Lucky Squirrel, Turkey Creek, Bradley's Reel. What, what an ingenious title that is, Bradley's Reel. A Dog Named Robert E. Lee, The Homecoming Hornpipe, Morocco Mole, a Pound of Cure, Copperhead, Tootsie Roll. That's, that's kind of a neat tune, kind of a, 
I don't know, 30s style. I, I don't know. It's a, that's a neat tune. It sounds really good played on a saxophone, by the way. Tootsie Roll. Uh, Taking the Shortcut Home, Crazy Water Crystals, Pigeon Hill, Hammerhead, which Hammerhead, by the way, is named after my mother-in-law. The Hammer. Uh, Sundown Waltz, Constellation Hornpipe, The Silver Dollar Hornpipe, Laird's March Duet. That's a good one, by the way. I have a video lesson on that. I think I've sold like two of those ever. And it's one of my favorite little tunes. And it's a two-part tune. You know, you learn the first mandolin part and someone else learns the second mandolin part. Or if you're, you know, stationed at a weather outpost in Antarctica, you can learn the first part and play it along with the video where I play the second part. Or you can learn the second part, which is slightly easier, and play it along with the video while I play the first part. And uh, I had a guy, I think he was in Norway. He was one of the rare people who ever bought the thing and learned the tune. He said, me and my friend like to, in the wintertime, when we can't go outside, we like to play that duet. Huh. Uh, here's a tune called Picking Up the Bird. Uh, the bird, by the way, is Jackson. You know, I'm always talking about Jackson. His nickname is The Bird. Don't ask me why. Well, it has to do with the fact that my wife had a bird, a love bird, and she decided that we had to get rid of the bird because she was pregnant. And when Jackson's born, we can't have the bird. You know, the bird might peck Jackson. It was a little love bird, a little smart little guy. So we got rid of the bird, and then the new bird was born, the bird. So he's the bird. And then we have Big D, which is a banjo tune, and The Missing Fifth, which is another banjo tune I wrote. And that one, I remember why that was called The Missing Fifth is I, I wrote it and I learned to play it and everything and I was playing it a lot. And when I went to tab it out, I realized I not, not once in the whole tune did I play the fifth string. You don't even need a fifth string. You could pick up a four-string banjo and tune it like a standard G-tuning banjo and play this thing. It's The Missing Fifth. I never, I don't know why, I just never hit the fifth. And then I have the... Uh, Waltz for Amanda. I, both of my daughters, Amanda and McKinley, each one of them, I wrote a waltz for them. So we've got the waltz for Amanda and McKinley's waltz. And then I've got a little thing I called in the state of Indiana. And I, I, it's really a piano piece, kind of. And a, another little piano piece, which can be played on the mandolin, I simply called Sonata. So I, you'd have to hear it. I also have um, Mandolinova, which is a really cool tune. It's one of those tunes that the melody doesn't change. Like phrase one and phrase two and phrase three are identical, but the chord changes. So without backing tracks or a guitar player or accompaniment, it seems very repetitious, but you put the chords with it and it doesn't. It's really neat like that. And then I have one called Carolina Jasmine, a, a strange little tune called The Bionic Mosquito. And one that I credit my mother for is called Birthington's Wash Day. You know, whenever it was George Washington's birthday, mom would say, oh, good morning. You know it's Birthington's Wash Day. You know, she probably heard that on old radio show or something. Birthington's Wash Day. 
and then uh, toads in the garden. And it just goes on and on and on. So maybe this year I'll actually finish the little tune book and you know, just make a PDF of it and put it up on the website. Boy, I'm just rambling here. You know, the house has been so quiet and I just keep moving from one little thing to another. I played the fiddle a little bit. I just working on little stuff and I can't seem to really get motivated in any real direction in any direction right now. So who knows, maybe by, you know, get the family back home and uh, get back, you know, get everybody busy. I'll probably point my little boat in some direction right now. I'm just sort of paddling around. Anyway, let me tell you a little about the jam sessions. I already mentioned it. Got together with Mike Estes, Buddy Ashmore, Tony Duck, Ed Davis, and myself, and, and a few friends hanging around. And we just picked. And I, I took the uh, H4N Zoom handy recorder with me, and I thought I might record, just stick it over in a corner and record the session, which I did. And... I don't know. It felt like the whole night long, it just felt like we were waiting in molasses. Like, I don't know if you ever heard about that story of that giant, I think it was San Francisco or someplace or Boston or someplace where this gigantic tank of molasses burst and flooded the streets. And I think people even drowned in molasses and stuff. You should look that up. <laughs> like the great molasses flood. But I swear, for the first hour and a half, it just felt like every tune we were just slogging through, just slow. God, uh, uh. Maybe it was me. I don't know. You know how a fly, you know, you're swatting the fly and you think you're so fast and that fly thinks you're just really, really slow. He's just like flapping his wings real slow and he takes off and he moves out of the way of that fly swatter. You're just on different time scales sometimes first half of that jam session I felt like completely out of sync I was like I was the fly and everybody else was and nobody else seemed to feel like everything was slow and I was like uh, hey could could we play one tune that's like kind of a cranking bluegrass tune and so anyway we had a good time though and as as the night wore on uh, things did pick up a little bit I don't know I guess everybody was just in a mood to play slow uh, and, by, you know, listen to these guys play. It, it's just amazing what good players they are. Uh, anyway, I think I'll just end it here. I, I've rambled and bored you enough. Um, mostly I'm doing this episode just to let you know that I'm still kicking and had a nice holiday break. And I, for, for those of you who, you know, go from one episode to the next and are like, oh, where's the episode? He didn't put one out. And. I appreciate your patience. Uh, this is just sort of a little rambling introduction to 2020. And I haven't listened to the jam session tape yet. When I finish, when I hit stop on this, I'm going to scour through those couple hours of, of recording, see if I can find a little snippet of uh, Mike Estes, Buddy Ashmore, Tony Duck on mandolin. Uh, Mike's playing fiddle, by the way. Buddy on guitar, Tony Duck on mandolin. I was jumping back and forth. I was playing dobro and sometimes playing bass. And then Ed Davis was playing bass and sometimes playing banjo. 
So I'll find something. I'll find something on there uh, to uh, take the show out with a little, little music from a live jam session. And I hope you are out doing this sort of thing. Don't sit around. Don't sit around and play by yourself. Get out there and pick with your friends. And if you don't have any friends, go find some. You hang around the bluegrass crowd, you'll make some friends. So, and, and by the way, uh, last thing before I go to the to the little outro music, assuming I can find something uh, that I like on there, um, is I got an email. And, you know, I, I've talked multiple times about the 10 commandments discussed free ebook that I have where there was this thing floating around for years. I'd seen it and seen it and seen it, the 10 commandments. And it was just 10 rules for, you know, jam session etiquette for bluegrassers. And, you know, they're just short little things. And I thought, you know, there's more that could be said here. And I exploded it into a, a little short read of 60 something pages of, you know, that you can download on your phone and you can read it in 15 minutes where I expanded on these commandments and then added a whole bunch of other ideas and thoughts that I had that weren't things that weren't covered in the original. And I credited the, who I thought were the original authors of this thing in the book. I, you know, I mentioned them by name. Well, just about three days ago, I got an email from one of those four people that I mentioned. And we have been emailing back and forth, and I'm really hopeful that I'm going to get him on the show. Robert Rosenberg and, and, and I, Charlie Hall. Robert told me that Charlie Hall is the genius who thought up the name The Ten Commandments. So anyway, hoping to get him on the show here pretty soon where we can talk about the origins of The Ten Commandments. Anyway, that's it. Here we go with a little jam session tunage with Mike Estes, Buddy Ashmore, Tony Duck, Ed Davis, and myself. Y'all have a good week, and I'll be back full strength next week. What about uh, I can't say?